0: Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. I'm so glad that you are here with us today, this Sunday. and For those of you who are crammed into our overflow room, we're so glad that you are here with us. I want to remind you that we have an 8.30 and a 12.30 gathering. There's a VIP seating at the 8.30, if you would like that, if you can make that, we can arrange that for you. But uh, so glad to see you here today, and I'm so glad that we're in this the series that we're in uh, called Uncomplicated, where we're asking God to speak godly wisdom and clarity to the complexity of our relational world. And I think all of us would say, when it comes to our relationships, whatever they are, single dating, married, family, you name it. uh, They can be very complicated at times. And so we're asking God to speak his clarity into that. Last week we looked at family of origin and how important that relationship is in shaping all of your other relationships. And we invited God into our stories in a deeper way. Next week we're going to look at future family and and marriage. We're going to be talking about that. We have an incredible panel of folks who've really done this well, honestly and well. They're going to share from their experience. I'm so excited about that But this week, we're going to be looking at what I think is one of the most important relationships you can have outside of a relationship with God. The most important relationship you can have. In fact, this relationship affects every single one of your other relationships, like undeniably. It has incredible power with all of the relationships you have in your life. And that relationship is the relationship you have with you the relationship that you actually have with yourself and knowing who you really are. We're going to ask God and invite God today to show us, to teach us, and to shape us and grow us into who He actually created you to be. We're going to look at one passage of Scripture here in a moment that is going to become like a a prayer tool, a process that you can pray this week and actually starting today. In fact, in a few moments in our gathering, we're going to take a few moments to walk through a prayer process that you can do to invite God into who you really are and to have Him reveal that to you. Uh, uh, Last night I had the privilege to go to dinner with a friend who I've known now for many years. In fact, uh, this is a guy, he and his wife have been praying for this church since before it was a church. They, They were part of the launch team for this church way back when we lived in Atlanta, and they were faithfully praying for and, and giving towards the vision of this church. And this morning, it was actually the first time he ever actually got to go to a gathering at Soul City Church. That's faithfulness, that this guy's been praying for and praying for you and for this time. And so last night we got to go to dinner, and we're at dinner, and I was telling him about a book I had read recently that really you know it kind of wrecked my life, and I was you know so thankful for how God was growing me and teaching me more about who I am and him. And, and so he wrote the name of the book down in his phone, and he holds it up to me, this very innocent moment at the table at dinner, and he holds it up to me to see, he goes, is it like this? Did I spell it right? And he holds it up to me, and this is exactly what I do. I didn't have my glasses on at the time. And so this is what I with. And I kind of did this, and I saw him sort of get the nonverbal clue, and so he started pulling the phone further away, like, is this helping? Is this helping? Is this helping? Because the reality is, that, as much as I hate to admit it, I, my eyes are getting worse. I don't like to admit that, that my, my eyesight's actually getting worse over the years. I never had to wear glasses until a couple of years ago. And for the first year, it was for a fashion statement. But now (laughs) I really actually have to wear them uh, to see. In fact, my wife has always had bad eyesight. She's always had bad vision Since she was a kid, she's had just giant glasses. And so for years, we... No, but I still loved her. And so for... (laughs) That was when she was little. So for for years so she knew about the laser eye surgery, and maybe some of you have had that. And so we started saving up for that and kind of did all of our research on that. And then about three years ago, she got laser eye surgery, and it was it was like she was healed. I mean, it was as though a miracle had happened. I mean, she doesn't have to wear glasses anymore, had to wear them her whole life. The the hard part amidst the miracle was explaining to our son, who was incredibly let down, that laser eye surgery doesn't mean Laser eye <laughs> surgery. It means laser eye surgery. I did. It's, just, it's all in how you say it, and he was very disappointed that mommy couldn't shoot lasers. Um, so, I, so I suffer from a thing. I, I'm farsighted. That's kind of my thing, I've, and I'm getting kind of worse farsighted. And I wonder. You're supposed to, so I say that, and you think you know what that means, but do you really know what it means? The, the difference between farsighted and nearsighted really? Okay, it's not rhetorical. I'm actually going to have you turn to the person next to you and see if you can describe the difference. What does it mean to be nearsighted and what does it mean to be farsighted? This takes 30 seconds, all right? So turn to the person next to you and see if you actually know the difference between the two. I think so. That's right. All right. All right, so maybe you know the difference. If you're, if you're nearsighted, things that are close or here's the word Near to you are actually in greater focus and clarity. And if you're farsighted, things that are often a distance have greater clarity. So for me, I can see exit signs on the freeway, I can see all that stuff just fine. But when my friend holds his phone up to me, I make long face like, well, I kind of do that, you know, because it's too close, move it away because I'm farsighted. That's kind of how, you know, what was happening. With me, and, and for what we're going to be looking at today, and we're, I'm trusting that God is going to lead us, I think, honestly, for many of us, if we were to be honest uh, and get a picture of our relational world, I bet just about every single one of us suffers from relational farsightedness. Relational farsightedness. Let me explain what I mean. You have, for those of you who are single and hoping to be in a relationship one day, or maybe you're in a relationship now and you're hoping that it really goes somewhere, my hunch is you have a crystal clear picture of the person that you are looking for or long to be with, right? You have a very, you're just waiting for someone to walk in front that matches up with at least enough of those qualities <laughs> for you. You are farsighted in the sense that you have a really clear picture of the person you're hoping for, looking for, praying for, but maybe are missing the stuff that's going on in your own heart and your own life and the work that God's inviting you to do here. See, all the stuff about you may be fur- like fuzzy and blurry and not quite clear, but you got a great picture of who you want to be with one day. Those of you who are in a relationship, maybe you're in a dating relationship or you're married, you have relational farsightedness as well. Why? Because anytime you get into a fight, that's when it most comes out. You have crystal clarity at how wrong they are <laughs> and all the things that they've done wrong. You are amazing at, you have like eagle eye focus on all of their problems, but it's oftentimes blurry and unfocused with what you bring to the table, your own brokenness and the issues that God's inviting you to bring to him. All of us have a sort of relational farsightedness. We can see the things in the relationships and the promise of a relationship and even the problems of a relationship in someone else with crystal clarity. But when it comes to the stuff in front of us, That's really where we need God's help. Jesus spoke to this, actually. He spoke directly to our relational farsightedness. You don't have to open your Bibles. We're going to do that in a minute. But Jesus referred to it. He called the condition log and eye condition. And when he said this in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. He said, why do you worry about a speck in your friend's eye? You see, you have that farsightedness. You can see even off into their eye a speck in their eye when he says, you have a log in your own. This is log and eye condition. Jesus came up with it. You focus on that in the distance in someone else's life but miss what's happening right in front of you. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? All of us, at some level, suffer with relational farsightedness. We tend to focus on all the wrong things. We tend to become consumed with the things that you can't control. You can get all kinds of consumed with things that ultimately you can't control about someone else's life, maybe even the speck in their own life, but God is inviting you to take responsibility with your relationship with him and to ask some big questions of yourself about yourself. God, who is it that you have actually created me to be? Do I know me like you know me, God? Do I know me like you Know me, God, this is some deep, important questions, whether you're in a dating relationship, single, married, divorced, wherever you fall, these questions, this question, this, the heart of this, has the power to affect every one of your relationships. Think about it for a second. If I were to ask you to turn to the person next to you, and you wouldn't have to explain far-sighted or nearsighted, but if I were to turn to the person next to you and say, look, I want you to tell the person next to you what you do, how long do you think it would take to answer that question? couple seconds, right? maybe explain what you do specifically or where you work and that you're a student or you're in between gigs or whatever it is. I bet it wouldn't take that long for you to tell them what you do. And then if I say, awesome, I want you to turn back to that person. I want you to tell them who you are. How would you answer that question? I mean, how long might that take? A, I like long walks on beaches. Like how, how do you even answer that question, right? So what we wanna do is ask the one who already knows. God, who am I? Who have you actually created me to be apart from what I do? Do I have an identity outside of what I do? God, who am I apart from someone else? It's so easy that when you're not in a relationship to hang your hope on someone else making you you. If you could just get together with them, oh my gosh, then your life and your picture of your life that you've had in this far-sighted vision would be perfect, and you can hang the hope of who you are and someone else completing you. Who are you outside of someone else? Regardless of whatever your sort of relational category is, single, dating, married, divorced, who are you outside of who you are with? Do you even know who you are if you are not with someone have you been waiting to become someone once you get with someone? Who are you after someone leaves you and hurts you, breaks up with you, or walks away from a friendship? Do you, and we ask all kinds of deep, introspective questions then. Do you know now, though, who you are and what would it look like for you to ask the one who knows you to help you know you? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at one passage of scripture that is a very powerful and very practical prayer process that you can pray. Now, you, depending on wherever you're at with God, you may not think you're all that great at praying. We want to give you a tool that you can actually practice today, a prayer of invitation, a prayer of examination to say, God, help me see me like you see me. And it's found in Psalm 139. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open to Psalm 139. You can turn there now. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible. Is there a blue Bible in your seat back? Why don't you grab that? Or maybe it's right in the seat in front of you. Grab that. In the blue Bible, you can turn to page 433. Let me say a quick word about the blue uh, Bible right here. If you're serious about knowing who God is, having a relationship ultimately with him, having that relationship with God change and affect all of your other relationships, but you don't own a Bible yet, we can take care of that right now. Here's the deal. If you're serious about growing in a relationship with God and you don't own a Bible, steal a Bible from church today. I mean it, steal a Bible. You can brag about that at work tomorrow. I stole a Bible from church yesterday. Like that's a whole, like you could steal, that's a big deal. And we want you to do that. It's our gift to you. So why don't you go ahead and do that and grab a pen because what the rest of us do who maybe have a Bible is we write notes in these Bibles so that when someone steals a Bible, they have a head start. So grab a pen, <laughs> grab something to write with. And we're gonna look at Psalm 139. And let me give you some context to where we're coming into this passage. This is a prayer that David, King David, prayed. David is a central character in the Old Testament. David's story began in obscurity, just like yours and mine. He was not born into power, influence, or fame. He was a shepherd boy. And God took this humble heart and he raised David up into leadership. And David became the second king of the nation of Israel. One of their greatest kings. And yet... Like every other character and every other family in the Bible, his relational world was unbelievably complicated. And he brought great damage to the people he loved most. Committed adultery, cheated on his wife, covered up his tracks by murdering the husband of the woman who he cheated on his wife with. Eventually his son, one of his most beloved children, would become estranged from him and there would be a terror in the family. I mean, it is a broken family. And so David's kind of well into his life and his rule as king and he's facing some of these big questions. Things that seemed so simple and uncomplicated as a child have become greatly complicated and so he's asking for God's help like each of us can do here today. This is Psalm 139, starting with verse one. Look at what he says about God and what God does and how God knows us. He says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. Hit pause real quick. What David's doing is there, he's saying, God, you, you know when I sit and when I rise. What does that mean? He says, you know the absolutely mundane, seemingly insignificant details of my life. God, you know every one of them. You know about every aspect of every moment, every second of my life. When I sit down, when I stand up, when I go get my third cup of coffee, when I go get my ninth cup of coffee, God, you know every aspect. And you're actually involved and you care. So many of us assume that the only day God cares about in the week is Sunday. Not at all so. Every moment of your life, God knows intimately, perfectly, knows every detail, even the seemingly insignificant. And David says, not only do you know everything I do, you know why I do it. You see through my actions, David says. You perceive my thoughts. You know what's going on inside of here. From a distance, God, you know fully who I am. You know everything that I do and all of who I am. That's who you are, God. You know me. And David goes on to paint through this uh, chapter of the Bible that God not only knows everything about you, but he loves you. Some of us might wanna say, God only knows everything about me and in spite of that still loves me. David goes on to say this in verse three. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. Again, these kind of everyday rhythms and rituals of my life. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. God, you understand every aspect of my life. I am both fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. That is incredible news that the God who we just sang to moments ago, the great I am, is the one who says, You are. He gives you your identity. And he knows every aspect of who you are, and he loves you. The great I am says, You are my child, and I love you. Listen to me. I could preach just those words for the rest of my life, and it would be enough. I would need to hear those words every day for the rest of my life. The God of the universe, the one who created me, knows me, and he loves me. And David goes on, we don't have time to go into the depths of this passage, but you might want to fold this or make a note of it to go back through and read it today. David goes on to paint this beautiful picture of how much God loves you and how you are actually created and designed by God. He gives this beautiful picture. He says that God knits us together in our mother's womb, that God knit me together in my mother's womb. And he says, I will praise you, God, because you made me complex, some of you may be married to a complex person. Have you ever thought about praising God for their complexity? <laughs> David says, I praise you, God, because I am complex. That, God, there's nothing simple about this. Yes, I complicate just about everything in my life, but you have made me a complex, rich, amazing creation, God, fashioned in your identity. You love me. David just goes on to paint picture after picture after picture of how this God not only loves you, he thinks about you constantly. He thinks about you constantly. Has great plans and desires for your life. So David kind of goes on of you know, this rant of just how rich it is that this God knows us and loves us regardless of your relational status. And then he does something very daring at the end of this chapter. He prays a very powerful prayer And it's a prayer that I believe God's leading us into today and has incredible power for your relationships, but more it has incredible power for your relationship with God and your relationship with yourself. Jump down to the very end of Psalm 139, verse 23. After naming all that God already knows, after realizing how much God can reveal who we are, David says this, Psalm 139, verse 23. So he says, search me, God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me read that again, David. After acknowledging and, and, and praising and recognizing the greatness of God who knows every aspect and detail of our life and who loves us fully, says, okay then, God, then search me. I invite you in know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is a very, very, very powerful prayer that David prays. It's a prayer of uh, introspection, but more than that, it's a prayer of invitation. Of saying, okay, God, okay, then show me what you already know about me. Help me see the me that you see, God. Help me know me as you know me. This is an incredibly powerful prayer for you to pray if you're single. Okay, so maybe you're not in a relationship right now and and the pressure that you feel from our culture is that you have to be in some relationship and if you don't feel it kind of out there, maybe you feel it when you come here to this church and you gotta kind of be in a relationship because that kind of makes you something or someone if you're with someone. And what a great prayer for you to pray regardless of who you're with or whether you're even with someone or not right now. God, search me, know me. Show me me, show me what's really going on inside of me. Don't let my identity be a contingency to a relationship with someone else. Show me, God, who you've created me to be so that, listen, so that if and when I am in a relationship, my worth and my identity are something that is secured fully in God that that person does not get to lay claim to and take or break. Hear this, single people. Root your identity in God. Allow Him to speak into who you are. And you will not settle for someone who tries to tell you who they expect you to be and want you to be. You will not settle for anything less than God's best for your life because your identity is rooted in Him. And you're not going to pawn that off or trade that off for the hope of security in someone else. For those of you who are married, It's very easy kind of when you get married very quickly to lose your identity. And to sort of get lost in sort of all the things you have to do to run your kind of family ink. And so you're a spouse, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a mom, you're a dad. There's all kinds of business and managing all kinds of other people's lives. And you can absolutely lose who God has created you to be. What a powerful prayer for you to pray. God, I pray that you would help me as a mom, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, that you would help me be all of who you've created me to be. Because when I am fully who you created me to be, I have a gift to give Others and they don't take it from me, I give it to them freely. Can you imagine if your identity was rooted in that relationship, your relationship with God. It's essential that we kind of get this stuff right, and that we wrestle through where our identity comes from, and who you ultimately are in God, and invite God in to do that deeper level work of showing you who He's created you to be and how He sees who you are. Because the reality is this: whether you're in a relationship right now, or whether you hope to be in a relationship one day, I think lots of times we kind of have this sort of idealization that if we can kind of get into a relationship or get married, it all kind of works out, and that's it all kind of makes sense, and we can kind of just. Move into life and that, I just need to get over that finish line, and then I can get into marriage and have my identity. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. If you ever hope to be a we one day, that a healthy we, a God-honoring we, always depends on a healthy me. You can have all the hopes in the world that He will complete you. (laughs) Or that she will finally give you that sort of status acceptance or whatever it is that you thought. She would that she never could. A healthy we that you hope, and I believe every one of us longs to have, a God-honoring, God-centered, it starts with a healthy, God-honoring, God-centered me. All of that relationship, the hopes and potential of that, honestly, the only thing about that that you have any responsibility for is you. It's between you and God. And you cannot control whether that person you're with or hope to be with one day will do any of these kind of work, ask these bigger questions to God, but you can, and you can today. I want to tell you something. I am amazed. I am blown away by folks in our church who commit themselves to that. I want to be a healthy, God-honoring, God-centered me, regardless of whether or not there's a we. This is just important for me and my relationship with God. I'm blown away by the folks who make that the center of sort of how they approach dating and relationships and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, there's a couple that Gene and I are mentoring right now. And what's so amazing is to see how God has done this exact work in their life. They dated a couple years ago, and it did not go well. They dated a couple years ago, and both of them came into the relationship with huge, unhealthy expectations of the other person. I think there was an assumption that by coming together, everything would just work out. And for those of you who've gotten into a relationship or are in a marriage, does it all of a sudden get easier when you get into a relationship? Well it gets more complicated, doesn't it? And I, they found that out very quickly. And all their unspoken or unhealthy or unrealistic, at least, expectations of each other begin to rise to the surface. And one of them began to realize that they were kind of putting their hope in that other person, being something that they weren't. And the other one honestly didn't really know who they were. And so they were kind of just going through the relationship like a ship without a rudder, living off of the fumes of the other person's spiritual growth. Maybe you know, maybe you've met a couple like that before. Maybe you've been in a relationship like that before. Maybe you're in a relationship like that right now. Well, it came to a point where neither one of them could make it work any longer. The perfect we wasn't happening. And so they broke up. And you know, this is you date in a church like this, boy, man, it's like everyone's got to take sides. And you know, how do you parse out which friends are which? And it was rough for me. I mean, no one was praying for me during their breakup. But... (laughs) It was hard for me. (laughs) And so we try, you know, Gene and I try as best we can to walk with each of them and it took a while, a long while. And what we began to see is when they were free from the unhealthy, unrealistic expectation of a perfect we, God brought them right back to this. Let me show you who you are. Let me show you your identity in me. Let me show you your worth and your value that is non-contingent on a single human being. But it's firmly rooted and established in me. And just happened to be the story for this couple, certainly not the story for every couple. As they began to do this work, they began to notice each other a little bit more. Hey, I heard you know, man, I'm impressed. I heard you did this, and I heard you did that. oh, yeah, and they'd end up at a party together, and they'd kind of start connecting and finding out that both of them were doing this deeper kind of work with God and all of it on their own contingent, bringing their communities into it. But not having the relationship be the point, the relationship with each other be their point, but the relationship with God was the point of their life at that point. And they began to say, well, maybe, what if we gave this kind of a round two? And what if we came into this we continuing to pursue the healthiest, God-honoring, God-centered us that we can be like, I'll do my work, you do your work, and let's see what God does. And it's been so cool for Gina. They're not a perfect couple, far from it. But they are putting God at the center and saying that if we're ever going to have a healthy we, it starts with a healthy me. And I am impressed and blown away. And for those of you who have been married, maybe been married for a while, you might have forgotten how hard it is to be single. How hard it is to be single and follow Jesus. How hard it is to be single and follow Jesus in this city. And I want you to hear me as your pastor. You have our prayer. You have our belief. We are with you, and we are holding you to a God-honoring, God-centered, healthy you. We believe that that's what God has invited you to, and we believe that that is what builds a foundation for a healthy we one day. And for those of you who are married, and you have forgotten that there is work to be done, not just on your marriage now, but on you as well. We stand with you. We pray with you. We as a married couple stand and say, yep, this is really hard, isn't it? Let's add some kids. Oh my gosh, it got a lot harder. (laughs) And we stand with you. We pray with you. We pray for you. And we believe that the work God wants to, to do in you for your marriage starts with you. And your spouse may be unwilling to get on board. That should not be an excuse for you not to. It can begin with you today. It can begin like as it did for this couple to say, okay, well, regardless of whatever this relational world is, me and God can get this stuff settled today. And so what I want to do just for these remaining moments is walk us through a reflection based on Psalm 139, a reflection I think is incredibly important for you to do as a single person. Secure your identity now. Lock it firmly into who you are in God. For those of you who are married or for you who are parents, this is critical work for you to do that has the power to shape and change and transform your relationship. I want to walk us through four key questions that come out of the passage we just read. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I think this is a prayer process that anyone can pray. And you may not consider yourself like a really prayerful person or a praying type. I want you to write this down because I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the like, like I'm giving you the stuff, the, like you can do this. I'm gonna literally spell it out, like the prayer that you can pray this week and just see what God speaks in and what God says. Again, okay, these aren't my ideas. These come right out of the heart of Psalm 139. So grab a pen if you want, a piece of paper. Maybe it's better for you to put it in your phone. So pull your phone out, turn it to silent. Turn it to silent. And open up your notes and write this down because I think this could be a powerful prayer exercise for you to do as an individual this week. So coming out of the heart of Psalm 1 through 9, I'm going to read to you a question, and I want you to really truly reflect on this for a moment, ask God to speak in, and then I'll lead you through a couple more, and then we'll respond in worship together. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. So the first question of reflection for you to invite God into this level of examination of your identity is this, what emotions are occupying my heart right now? So I'm gonna ask you that question. I want you to think about that for a moment. Reflect on that and even ask God to reveal to you what emotions are occupying my heart right now. I'd invite you to not put any judgment on them. Just name them. Bring them to God. What are the emotions? What are you feeling right now in your heart? Are you feeling incredibly loved right now? Then say that. Thank God for that. Are you feeling incredibly lonely right now? Then say that and bring that to God. What What are the emotions that are stirring occupying your heart right now. So take the next few moments and just name those, bring those to God. Maybe write them down, if that helps. Or name them, even quietly whisper them out loud to God. So this is just a time between you and God, but I would ask you to reflect on that right now. What emotions are occupying your heart? David said, test me and know my anxious thoughts. God, run me through and see what's really going on. What are these things that are motivating my choices, my actions, my reactions to others? What are the fears and anxieties? What are the anxious thoughts that are occupying my mind right now? So I want you to write that down and think about that and reflect on that. What are the fears and anxious thoughts that are occupying your mind? They may be fears about your future. There may be some anxious thoughts about a relationship that you're in right now. You sense things on the rocks aren't going well. There might be fear and anxiety about if you'll ever be in a relationship. Maybe stuff going on from work. There may be a child of yours that, you're just, you are afraid and you are meditating out of that fear on all the thoughts of what happened to their life or what might happen to their life if they keep going down this path. What are the fears and anxious thoughts that are occupying your mind right now? And would you just name them, bring every one of them, like grab them and hold them captive and bring them to God because they are affecting the way that you act and react to everyone around you. So bring them to God right now. Let him reveal them to you. Take a moment to do so right now. Part of David's prayer of of invitation leads to a place of confession where he says, see if there's any offensive way in me. He says to God, see if there's any offensive way in me, anything that is keeping me at a distance from you, anything that is leading me away from you. And so for the next few moments, what I want you to reflect on and get incredibly honest about is are there any unhealthy habits or patterns of sin that are occupying your life right now? any unhealthy habits or patterns of sin that are occupying your life right now. You'll know what they are because lots of times you make your rationalizations and your justifications for why you do what you do. Or you'll know what they are because oftentimes those unhealthy habits and patterns of sins are the things that you keep hidden because you like to keep control over those aspects of your life. You know what they are. Would you name them and bring them to God? Would you bring all of them to God? Are there any unhealthy habits or beliefs that you've made a way of life? In, in, any patterns of sin? Let me just say a word real quick. Let me just say a word real quick. To those who are here and are dating, you're in a relationship, you're not married yet, you're dating. Have you been pretending like you're married? Have you been pretending like you're married? I mean, sleepovers opening presents that aren't yours yet, compromising on things you swore you would never compromise on, but working twice as hard to justify and rationalize. If you're dating and pretending like you're married, would you name that and confess it? That is not God's best for your life. That's not. And you need to name it because you know it. It's not. And for those of you who are married, if you've been pretending like you're single again and letting something else or letting someone else occupy your heart and your thoughts other than the person that you are with, you need to name it and confess it right now. Is there any offensive way, any unhealthy habit or pattern of sin, any pretending that I'm doing that God wants to bring in there's nothing that you can say, no word on your lips that will change God's love for you right now. But you gotta say it and you gotta name it and you gotta bring it to the light. So take a moment to do so right now. Whatever it is, just take a moment of confession, of examination right now. David closes this passage by saying, lead me into the way everlasting. And so the last little question of reflection, we're not going to spend as much time reflecting on, but it's really something for you to wrestle with and determine with God on your own right now. And that's simply this. What would trusting God with all of me look like right now? What would trusting God with all of me, all, all the emotions that are occupying my heart, all the fears and anxieties that are occupying my mind, all the unhealthy habits and patterns of sin, what would it look like to trust God with all of that so that he could lead me into being all of who he created me to be? What would that look like for you today? What would it look like for you to open your heart and open your life up to God and say, okay, God, you already know it. Help me see it. And God, will you together with me help me do something about it? to begin to live the life that you actually intended and created me to live. See, so these two are incredibly connected, our understanding of our relationship with God and our understanding of our relationship with ourselves. In fact, one of the books that has been most transformational for me in this journey has been a book called The Gift of Being Yourself by David Benner. And he says these words, and I want us to leave us with this as we move into a time of response. He said that there's no deep knowing of God, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self. And no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And what does he mean there? You cannot know the depths of God's love and grace and forgiveness for you until you truly know and bring to light and bring to surface who you really are. The longer you go on pretending, the more you miss of the depth of God's love for you. And the more and more and more you get to know who God is, the more and more you get to know who he created you to be. These two are incredibly connected. And our hope is that you would do the work of answering both of those questions. Who are you, God? And who have you created me to be, regardless of who I'm with or whether I'm with someone or not? Who is it, God, that you're inviting me to be? So for the next few moments, we wanna invite you to the one who makes that kind of relationship with God possible. I'm gonna invite you to come to the table where Jesus gave us a beautiful picture of who he is and what he's done for us so that we can know him and have a relationship with his father. Just hours before he was arrested and falsely tried and sent to a cross where he would ultimately give his life for us, Jesus gathered his followers together and he gave them two very common elements to remember a very deep truth about who he is. He took bread and he broke it. He said, "Listen, I want you to remember this because you're going to forget it. You're going to complicate it. Let me make it simple for you." Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, "I want you to remember this is my body broken for you. The bread of life. God's perfect manna for your life. I've broken it for I've offered my body physically for you." I'm giving up my life so that you could live. That's how important this relationship between God and us really is. And then he took wine he poured the wine. He said, listen, I want you every time this is poured to think of my blood, which is poured out for you, all of who you are and everything you could ever possibly do to break your relationship with God, every sin imaginable for every person ever throughout all of human history, this perfect blood covers all of it covers it all. Jesus said, don't complicate this. It is the body and blood of Jesus that makes a relationship with God possible and makes life to the fullest available to you, to me. And so we do this to help us remember, to uncomplicate all of this. And so for the next few moments, I'm gonna invite you to come. We're going to have stations set up here in the front and in the back and in the corner classroom where you're at as well In overflow. We're going to have stations available for you to come and to take a piece of bread to remember the body of Christ that he actually came and provided his life so that we could live. And you're going to dip it in the cup, which is a reminder of the blood of Jesus that covers over every sin, every unhealthy habit, every unconfessed pattern of sin. It covers it over right now, fully and completely. And to take a moment, And remember the life of Jesus and the life that he has invited you into. As always on the left, your left, we have gluten-free bread. For those of you who need that, you can make your way over there. And I want to invite us into this time of remembering Jesus and centering our life on him and saying this ultimately relationship is what it's all about. And I, I want to just say before I pray when we come to the table that some of you today have heard about the love of God, this God who loves you fully and completely, knows all of who you are and still loves you, chooses to love you, thinks about you constantly, has invited you into a relationship with him. Maybe today is that it might today be the day that you finally say yes to him. And your coming to the table is you coming into a relationship with him and saying yes to him confessing all of who you are to him, naming every one of your sins and shortcomings that you cannot do it on your own and choosing to allow what he's done for you to help you become who he ultimately created you to be in relationship with him, his son, his daughter. So some of you today are gonna enter into a relationship with Jesus. And so I want to pray for you and for all of us as we come to the table right now. So let me do so. If it helps you to close your eyes, maybe open up your hands as we pray, Uh, you can do that now. God, we thank you. Jesus, I thank you that you have made a way for us to know the Father and ultimately then to know ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, that you did what you did so that we could be who you've created us to be. Thank you for your body and your blood. We remember the cost of the cross. That a price was paid for my life. And yet you offer it freely and fully to me and for every one of us. And so, God, I pray for any single person here today who is yet to enter into a relationship. I pray that by coming to the table today, they would name this moment and say they're coming into a relationship with you. How great it is, God, that in a dating, marriage, relationship series, the ultimate relationship that matters most can begin today. That we can enter into a relationship with you today. And God, I pray that people would have the courage that they would be compelled and even overwhelmed by your love for them. And so God, we thank you for your body and your blood, which covers our sin and makes a way for us into true life, real life, new life, with you and with the Father. Thank you for this time of remembrance and this responsive worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.